0: Coming up on a Humankind special, are we still living with the racial divide left over from the Civil War? It seems to have surfaced again in the 2024 presidential campaign.
1: What was the cause of the United
0: States Civil War?
2: Well, don't come with an easy question or anything. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run. The freedoms and what people could and couldn't
0: do. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley later acknowledged she should have replied that slavery was the reason. But that origin of the Civil War, which nearly tore America apart, became shrouded in a myth known as the Lost Cause. We'll hear from historians and a former U.S. senator from Alabama to understand the ideology of that myth. Has it emerged today in the rise of white supremacism and election denialism? I'm David Freudberg. Stay with us for Humankind. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and Documentary Educational Resources. This special project, The Lost Cause, is supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Is the bitter legacy of racial division in the Civil War still affecting American life today? You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Back in 1867, right after the Civil War, a newspaper journalist in Richmond, Virginia, named Edward Pollard published a hugely influential book, although today most people have probably never heard of it. Pollard, who wore a very long, dark beard, titled his volume The Lost Cause. He described it as a new Southern history of the War of the Confederates. In The Lost Cause, Edward Pollard proclaimed white supremacy and justified the subordination of African Americans. And he predicted that the Southern Rebellion, which was decisively defeated on the battlefield by the U.S. Army, would rise again. Pollard was a fabulist, and the myth he contrived, brimming with grievance, persists as Americans struggle to this day over racial equality. It
3: was part of the DNA growing up uh, in Alabama and probably throughout the South.
0: Former U.S. Senator Doug Jones. You know, the lost cause
3: was everywhere. You saw it in souvenirs, you saw it in t-shirts, you saw it just wherever uh, roadside stands, and you studied. I mean, you saw the Civil War, and you studied that, and and, um, there was a pride uh, that was associated with it during that time. It was a states' rights issue. It was kind of a Uh, A a pride in being from the South as opposed to letting other people tell us what to do.
0: The narrative of the Lost Cause took hold in the Deep South, but also further north, including sections of Virginia, the largest slave-holding state. Virginia withdrew from the United States of America and in 1861 joined a different newly formed country called the Confederate States of America. I was born in Virginia in 1962. Ty Sigley taught history for decades at West Point until he retired from the Army as a brigadier general in 2020.
1: And when I was born, uh, Virginia was a racial police state. It was an apartheid state. And that, what that means is, is that uh, the only way that a black person would go into a courthouse was as a defendant or a custodian. Um, And so when I'm growing up, I'm in this segregated world, and I grow up at Episcopal High School where my dad was a coach and a teacher, sort of a bastion of Old South, Um, and and in Alexandria, Virginia. Remember, Alexandria used to be part of the District of Columbia, and it it retrocedes in 1847 to protect the slave trade. Which was hugely profitable for those
0: who owned the four million enslaved people. At the start of the Civil War, they were worth an estimated $126 billion in today's money. So the Confederacy and its hero, Robert E. Lee, were defending the largest financial asset in the U.S. economy, second only to land.
1: Alexandria has, this is right outside the capital, has more streets named after Confederates than any other city in the country. And it was named that in the late 1950s and early 1960s.
0: And when did you become cognizant of the fact that there was this huge confederacy trend in the period when you grew up
1: in Alexandria? It was like, does a fish know he's in water? I mean, everything around me was 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 was, was, was a part of that. There were signs, there were statues. I thought it was good. My first book was Meet Robert E. Lee. Uh, so everything around me said that they were the heroes, underdogs, but heroes. So it wouldn't have mattered to me that there's Lee this or there's Jackson this, so i i i I wouldn't have noticed because it was so much a part of my culture and my dad I mean I grew up with four the Confederate flags over the mantle when I was a kid. My dad had Lee and Jackson in his classroom. we knew descendants of Lee and gave them great status. Robert E. Lee is esteemed by the lost
0: cause as a great military leader and a kind of secular saint, but Lee's family did own hundreds of enslaved people. He punished them if they attempted to escape and even broke up families when selling them off to pay debts. And, of course, he was a general and eventually the commander-in-chief of the Confederacy. Ty Sigley's fascinating book is Robert E.
1: Lee and Me. He's now at Hamilton College. When I was at sixth grade, I was bussed across town from the white elementary school, which was named Douglas MacArthur, to the segregated all-black school. And what was the name of the segregated all-black school? Robert E. Lee Elementary School. That's pretty ironic. It's, it's not ironic. It's on purpose. It's on purpose because it is there to show, to protest against integration, and to show black people that white people still have the power, have political power. It's a thumb in the, in the eye. It's not – there's no irony at all. It is on purpose for, for pernicious purpose. How did you undergo your
0: metamorphosis to a different understanding of the cultural norms where you had grown up?
1: Well, I, I, the first thing was I came in the Army. I've been in the Army for 36 years, and I took that oath, um, the oath of office, and that started to mean more to me. It's the same oath that all members of the
0: military take, and that we hear when a new administration is sworn into office. I, Michael Richard Pence, do solemnly swear...
1: That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States...
0: That I will support
1: and defend the Constitution of the United States... Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies. Uh, And then I found out it was written in 1862. It's an uh, anti-Confederate oath meant to... Um, protect America against traitors. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic. That's exactly right. Foreign and domestic. And, and the, you know the Confederates were domestic enemies. They were insurrectionists. So my army, I start to change. I, I have black bosses in the army. I have black soldiers in the army. So the idea of being in the army changed me from wanting to be a southern gentleman, which is what I grew up wanting to be, to wanting to be the best soldier I could.
0: The Lost Cause ideology provided a framework for justifying the subjugation of African Americans. To protect that system, Confederate militia forces began seizing U.S. naval forts and other property throughout the South. It marked the start of the Civil War in April 1861. Historian Hilary Green at Davidson College in North Carolina has studied the worldview espoused by the Confederate States of America.
2: That the Confederate cause was just. They were right to fight for their nation grounded in slavery. That the antebellum period was not that bad. In fact, enslaved people were rightfully the racial inferiors of white Americans. And that, too... On the battlefield, they had the greatest generals, they had um, the greatest cavalry, but they lost in terms of material. The Industrial North had more men, more people, and also more industrialization. Since you left, time has been measured out in bitter chapters. Every house in these mountains touched by tragedy.
0: Nicole Kidman Civil War drama Cold Mountain writing to her sweetheart who was then fighting for the Confederacy.
2: Each day the dread of learning who has fallen who will not return from this terrible war and no word from you are you alive I pray to God you are This war is lost on the battlefield and is being lost twice over by those who stayed behind.
0: The total number of soldiers who died in the four-year U.S. Civil War is now estimated to have been about 750,000. At today's population, that would be the equivalent of about 7 million Americans, an unthinkable toll of death and destruction.
1: Sherman, Sheridan and Grant are going through uh, the the American South, tearing up everything, particularly that, that plantation owners, or as I like to call them, enslaved labor farms, as they are doing. They're tearing all that up. So all this has been destroyed. It is – there's nothing left of wealth in the South. And so now – and, and, and as we know, we start – they start saying, well, in South – I mean, realizing slavery is bad. So you have to figure out why this – why did you go to war? And so they come up with another idea of why the war was fought. Because remember now, the 13th Amendment – uh, it frees enslaved people. 14th Amendment, equal rights under the law. 15th Amendment, everybody that's a male gets to vote. So they didn't get just get they 180 degrees from what they wanted. So they come up with this idea of the lost cause to explain their defeat and to explain why they went to war. And the first thing is um, the, the Civil War wasn't about slavery. But the states that dropped out of the Union were
0: unambiguous that their primary motive was to preserve the institution of slavery. Shortly after Abraham Lincoln's election to the presidency in 1860, the debate would fracture the United States and erupt into war. As Lincoln had earlier observed, a house divided against itself
1: cannot stand. Historian Ty Sigley. Every state in the in the South had a convention where they went to vote on whether they should secede or not. And Mississippi's, uh, says that um, that we're going to war to protect Negro slavery, the greatest benefit to mankind in the world. Full stop. Uh, Texas says the same thing. South Carolina has it. So these secession documents mention slavery like 83 times. So
0: when these southern states declared that slavery was the greatest
1: benefit to mankind, what, what did they have in mind by that? Well, they had in mind the economic benefit— uh, they they had in mind that there's always been this is their argument a laboring class and an intellectual class so they are saying that that and they they link this to the, you know different biblical parts crazy stuff but that 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 there is always meant to be a laboring class and this laboring class is for the benefit of everybody else and they are not equal they are not they're almost like a subspecies of human. That's what it's really saying. It was to serve
0: that cause that Robert E. Lee declined President Lincoln's invitation to lead the federal forces in 1861. Instead, Lee sided with the insurrection attacking the United States. To some, that decision, which would end in failure, amounted to treason against the country where he was born, former Senator Doug Jones.
3: I don't see at this point how you can regard him as anything other Uh, than a traitor. He left the United States military. He led an army uh, that was at war with the United States of America. He led troops uh, that he commanded into battle. That sole purpose was to defeat the United States of America, to kill American troops. How can you not regard that as traitorous?
0: We're examining the impact of defending slavery during the Civil War and its echoes today. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, The Lost Cause, and to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org. You can also see an example of Confederate money, which showed enslaved African Americans working in a field right on the bill. And you can send us an email, all at humanmedia.org. The Battle Hymn of the Republic, written by the abolitionist Julia Ward Howe first published in February 1861. She cherished the Union as a bulwark against evil. But that same month the Confederacy was formed, eventually consisting of 11 states that split off from the U.S. Jefferson Davis of Mississippi became president of the Confederate
1: states, Alexander Stevens of Georgia was elected vice president. Alexander Stevens, who, you know, stood about 5'3", weighed less than 100 pounds. He, 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 uh, he was a sort of a skeletor-looking guy, but brilliant. And he's the one that said that, that the cornerstone of our society is Negro slavery. And we are going to fight forever for this. I mean, he says it. Everybody says it. So this isn't something that they're hiding. They're very, very proud of it. And and they try to run from that after the Civil War, but boy, you can't do that today. Not with the internet. You just you just look secession documents. Read them. They don't mention states' rights. They don't mention tariffs. All, none of those things were real. The, the, yeah, there was the state's rights, the state's rights to have slaves.
0: And underlying this philosophy was overt bigotry.
2: That all African Americans were the racial inferiors of white Americans.
0: Hillary Green.
2: It's also uniting those who did not own slaves or rent slaves. They are now committing themselves in a new patriotism, a new nationalism, to a nation that boasts that slavery is the foundation of its existence and that is so instrumental because Stevens after the Civil War will be a pro uh, lost cause advocate. He will still talk about slavery but then he will also get reelected to go back to Congress.
1: remember that between one-third and a half of all families white families in the South actually own human beings. So that's more than than own stocks now. So it's a, it's a huge, huge number that actually do own them. And some people also want to own them in the future. The other thing is this fear. They are greatly feared. What would what would black emancipation look like? What would having free black people look like? And that, to them, was an apocalyptic uh, thing. And they worry about this miscegenation, this idea. Uh, they have this crazy fear of black male sexuality, when in reality, it's white men that are raping black women but they do have this fear of that. So this idea that they're gonna, is is, is terrifying to them.
0: By the mid-1800s, sectional differences between the Northern and Southern states had grown stark. The North was more economically advanced, and enjoyed the benefits of public education, which before the war was much less available in the South. In contrast, the plantation culture down South revolved around the lucrative exploitation of millions of enslaved laborers. The idea of abolishing slavery was seen as a massive economic threat. So shortly after Lincoln's election, slave states began opting
1: out of the Union. You can't just seize federal property and say, I'm gone. You can't go take a post office and say, I'm in a seceding power. No, not, not allowed. You know, that's why we have an army, which is an army that can put down domestic insurrection. To preserve the Union, over 2 million northern troops enlisted, whereas the
0: ranks of the Confederate Army were less than half that. The story of Robert Gould Shaw, a young man from Massachusetts who went on to command black soldiers— Was depicted in the film Glory, starring Matthew Broderick. Dear Mother, I hope you are keeping well and not worrying too much about me. You mustn't think that any of us are going to be killed, for they are collecting such a force here that an attack would be insane. The Massachusetts men passed through here this morning. How grand it is to meet the men from all the states, east and west, down here ready to fight for their country, as the Old Fellows did in the Revolution. But this time, we must make it a whole country for all who live here so that all can speak. Before this war began, many of my regiment had never seen a Negro.
1: Those in the that North, those joke. with the United States of America, uh, fought for the United States of America. The idea at the beginning of union, of the Constitution, was
0: the perception then. That if you secede from this union, you're trying to break our
1: country, so we're going to fight against. You're that. destroying the country. This country that that George Washington and others had put together was very powerful, um, and this idea that it was for uh, you know the slaveholders' rebellion, which is what Frederick Douglass called it, um, that starts to have an effect when uh, northern soldiers go into the South, and see the system of the South. It's not as if most of the white
0: Union troops were civil rights activists. Among Northerners, there remained a lot of racism against African Americans. But as the war grinds on and refugees from slavery start coming into the Union camps, American
1: troops increasingly recognize slavery as immoral. You see that in the, in the election of 1864 when soldiers for the first time vote in huge numbers. And they're like, I don't know if it's 80 percent, overwhelmingly for Lincoln, who has written the Emancipation Proclamation by then, because there's no way to keep the Union and have slavery. No way to do that. So to destroy slavery is also to save the Union. In the end,
0: the Confederacy was crushed in bloody battle. For all of his vaunted military stature, the Confederate General-in-Chief Robert E. Lee fell short. In April 1865, on behalf of the rebellion, Lee surrendered at Appomattox, Virginia. The victor was General Ulysses S. Grant, who had successfully commanded the U.S. Army and would shortly be elected 18th President of the United States. But the values championed by the Confederacy would survive as the lost cause. Historian Hillary Green.
2: So it's all about symbol-making. It's all about myth-making and assuaging that guilt, that um, loss, that defeat, and instituting back a white supremacist world where African-Americans so freed are now still the racial inferiors of white Americans.
0: What exactly was the guilt? What did they feel guilty for?
2: The guilt is that they committed themselves to a nation— that lost. And it's a failed nation state. Then you have to apologize and declare your allegiance back to join back the nation that you left,
0: namely the United States mm-hmm. of America.
2: Yes. So you were wrong in what you did. You defied and um, as some in the north would say, and also federal government, and you committed treason against the United States of America. And then you have to come back to that nation.
0: After Civil War hostilities ended, Confederate states were required to guarantee the right to vote to African American men who were formerly held as slaves. But for many white Southerners, it was a devastating humiliation.
2: In the 1890s, you have the United Daughters of the Confederacy get formed, and that's where you really see it as a unified commemorative tradition with very little dissent over what does it mean to say the lost cause and what the war is about. The 1870s and 80s becomes that way where they're defining it and, ref- and getting consensus.
0: So you're saying it actually took a couple of decades mm-hmm. for this myth to harden.
2: Yes, because you always had your ones early on who are firmly committed. As people started dying off, the next generation are hearing these stories And it goes through the early monuments building that women are doing in cemeteries. But also is a reaction to what Reconstruction's and what's happening during Reconstruction, too. You can't divorce the hardening of the lost cause without talking about lynching, disenfranchisement, and other things going on during the overturn of Reconstruction.
0: That's when the Ku Klux Klan formed to terrorize African Americans who wanted to vote. Black businesses and educators were targeted for violence. And it began with the refusal to accept Lincoln's first election, the event that triggered slave states to withdraw from the United States of America. There are parallels today in the election denialism we've seen since Joe Biden defeated then-President Donald Trump in 2020. Here's Trump's statement after Election Day. This is a fraud, On the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We
2: were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. And that's, I think, is one of the interesting things in how this wave of denialism is continuing. And where are they finding their foundation? They're finding it in the lost cause. And they're finding it in the ways to overturn it. So I think for us to understand today's movement, we really need to go to how the lost cause got developed and how it hardened over time, because one of the most chilling images that I saw on January 6th was a gentleman holding a Confederate flag. You can't get around that symbol, but that symbol is so much the lost cause.
0: How did you personally react on seeing the Confederate flags that were brought into the U.S. Capitol by participants in the January 6th riot in 2021?
3: Uh, It was a complete revulsion
0: for a long time. When he worked for the U.S. Department of Justice, former Senator Doug Jones successfully prosecuted members of the Klan. In 1963, they had planted a bomb that killed four young girls attending an historically black church in Birmingham, Alabama. Almost 40 years later, two of the participants were finally convicted. Jones takes particular exception to the Confederate flag.
3: You know, back in high school, when I, when it really took hold of me what the, that flag represented, um, I have advocated for its removal. Uh, I have talked about it after the church bombing cases. That bombing happened right five days uh, after Birmingham city schools were desegregated and there were boycotts going on all across the city of Birmingham in 1963. And the the kids in all of those schools were boycotting and coming out on the grounds and they were waving Confederate battle flags. That's weren't symbols of history. Those were symbols of hate. And to watch what happened on January 6th, I was just completely revulsed uh, at everything that I saw going on, but particularly seeing Confederate battle flags roaming through the halls of the United States Capitol when, in fact, it had been just about a month earlier when the statue of Robert E. Lee was removed from the Capitol uh, because of his history.
0: Had Confederate battle flags ever before been paraded through the Capitol? I, I can't
3: think of any time uh, in in our history since the Civil War where there was some open display of Confederate battle flags at that time. And, and, it, and it wasn't just January 6th. These white nationalists, I mean, this had been building. You had seen it in Charlottesville.
0: In August 2017, white supremacists gathered for a rally called Unite the Right, held in Charlottesville, Virginia. A supporter deliberately drove his car into a crowd protesting the rally, killing a young woman and injuring 35. Confederate and Nazi flags were openly displayed.
3: have had times in our history in this country, at least in the last hundred years, in which there were kind of movements along those lines. For instance, it was in the, in, in the, the 30s uh, before World War II, where there was a growing movement of fascism in this country. Charles Lindbergh was one of a leading kind of proponents about that. And there were rallies in which you saw American flags and Nazi flags side
0: by side. Coming up, we consider how some of these historical forces endure in American life and culture, when the lost cause continues on humankind in a moment.
2: The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio.